0: Chapter Thirteen of Cutlass and Cudgel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded for you by Kyle VanderGast. Cutlass and Cudgel by George Manville Fen. Chapter Thirteen. Sure, you've looked round everywhere, boy. Yes, father. Quite. Nothing left nowhere. Sure, none of the lads chucked anything aside the path when they ran up. Yes, father. I looked well both sides. Humph! Worse lads than you, if you knew where to find him. Thank you, father. I'm going home to breakfast. Shall I come too, father? No. Stop here till Sir Risdon comes down, and tell him I'm very sorry, that we should have cleared out last night only a born fool saw Jerry and Andy's lobster boat coming into the cove and came running to say it was a party from the cutter. Yes, father. Tell him not to be uneasy. Tis all right, and I'll have everything clear away tonight the dull sound of departing steps and a low whistling sound coming down through the skylight window into the cabin where archie raystroke lay with his heavy eyelids pressed down by sleep what a queer dream he thought to himself no it couldn't be a dream he must be awake but how queer for mr gurr to be talking like that to andrew teal the boy who helped the cook and why did andy call mr gurr father there was an interval of thinking over this naughty question during which the low whistling went on If Mr. Bruff goes on deck and catches that boy whistling, there'll be someone to pay and no pitch hot, thought Angie nautically. But what did Mr. Gur mean about going home to breakfast? And I'm hungry too. Time I was up, I suppose. He gave himself a twist, and was about to turn out of his sleeping place, and then opened his eyes widely and stared about him, too much overcome still by his heavy sleep to quite comprehend why it was that he was in a gloomy, oak panelled, poorly furnished room, staring at an iron barred open window. No, he was not dreaming, for he was looking out on the sea, over which a faint mist hung like wreaths of smoke. It was just before sunrise, too, for there were flecks of orange high up in the sky. What did it mean? The answer came like a flash. He recollected it now, even to his sitting down in the chair, wearied out. He had been fast asleep, and those words had awakened him. What did they say? False alarm. Tell Sir and they would clear all away tonight. See if anything had been left about. Lobster boat. Then no boat had come from the cutter last night, and the lieutenant would wait for him to signal, and here he was a prisoner, with the information, locked up, the very news the lieutenant would give anything to know. He jumped up from the chair, feeling horribly stiff, and looked steadily round for a way to escape before it was too late. Once out of that room he could run, and by daylight the smugglers dare not hunt him down. "'Oh, those bars!' he mentally exclaimed, and he was advancing towards them, and just as he drew near, there was a rustling noise under the window. A couple of hands seized the bars. There was a scratching of boot-toes against stonework, and Ram's face appeared to gaze into the room by intention, but into the astonished countenance of the young midshipman instead. Ram was the first to recover from his surprise. "'Hello,' he said. "'Who are you? I was wondering why that window was open. "'Here, quick, go round and open the door. "'I was shut in last night by mistake.' "'Oh,' said Ram, looking puzzled, "'I saw you last night and wondered whose boy you was. "'It was your father kicked for shirking and—' My, well, I hardly knowed you. Nonsense. Come round and open the door. I've been shut in all night. Won't do, said Ram grinning. Think I don't know you, Mr. Officer? Where's your fine clothes and your sword? Here, what made you dress up like that? You're mistaken, said Archie gruffly, as he made a feeble struggle to keep up the character he had assumed. Won't do, said Ram quickly. I know you. Been playing the spy. That's what you've been doing. Who locked you in? "'Will you come round and open the door?' said Archie in an angry whisper. "'Oh, of course,' replied the boy, grinning, and he dropped down, rushed through the bushes, and disappeared from view. Archie stepped back to the door, listening, but there was not a sound. "'He has gone to give the alarm,' thought the prisoner, and he looked excitedly round for a way of escape. Nothing but the chimney presented itself. The door was too strong to attack, and he remembered the three fastenings. "'Should you try the chimney?' "'And be stuck there and dragged out like a rabbit by the hind legs from his hole?' "'No, I've degraded myself enough,' he said angrily, "'and there are sure to be bars across. "'Ha!' "'A happy inspiration had come, "'and placing one hand upon his chest, "'he thrust in the other, gave a tug, "'and drew out his little curved dirk, "'glanced at the edge, ran to the window, "'and began to cut at one of the bars. "'Labor in vain. "'He divided the paint and produced a few squeaks and grating sounds "'as he realized that the attempt was madness. "'Turning sharply, he looked about the room, "'then, after glancing ruefully at the bright little weapon, "'halfway up the blade of a rich deep blue,' in which was figured a pattern in gold, he yielded to necessity, and began to chop at the top bar of the grate, so as to nick the edges of his weapon and make it saw-like. The result was not very satisfactory, but sufficiently so to make him essay the bar of the window once more, producing a grating, ear-selling sound, as he found that now he did make a little impression, so little, though, that the probability was if he kept on working well for twenty-four hours he would not get through. But at the end of five minutes he stopped, and thrust back the dirk into its sheath. He fancied he had heard steps outside the room door, and he ran to it and listened, in the faint hope that the boy might have come to open it and set him free. It was a very faint hope, and one he felt not likely to be realized, and he returned once more to the window with the intention of resuming his task, when he heard the bushes pressed aside by someone coming, and directly after the bars were seized as before. Ram sprang up, found a resting place for his toes, and looked in, grinning at him. "'Hello!' he cried, in a whisper as if he did not wish to be heard. "'Here you are still.' "'Yes, come round and open the door. "'What'll your give me?' "'Anything I can,' cried Archie eagerly. "'Well, you give me that little sword, yarn. "'No, I can't part with that.' (laughs) "'Ha, ha, ha,' laughed the boy jeeringly. "'But I'll—' "'Yes, I'll give you a guinea if you will let me out.' "'Guinea?' said the boy. "'Think I'll do it for a guinea?' "'Well, then, too. "'Be quick. "'There's a good fellow. "'I want to get away at once.' "'Not you,' said the boy jeeringly. "'It would be a pity. "'I say, do you know what you look like?' fisher boy not you only a sham why your clothes don't fit you and your caps put on all skiru don't look a bit like a fisher lad and never will never mind about that let me out of this place what for cried ram because i want my liberty not you looks comfortable enough as you are i say do you know what you are like now i told you a fisher boy cried archie impatiently but trying not to offend his visitor who possessed the power of conferring freedom by speaking sharply Not you. Look like a wild beast in a cage, like a monkey. You insolent. Archie checked himself, and the boy laughed. It was your turn yesterday. It's mine today. What a game. You laughed and fleered at me when I was on the cutter's deck. I can laugh and fleer at you now. I say, you do look like a rummin', just like a big monkey in a show. Look here, sir, said Archie, losing his temper. Gentlemen don't fight with low, common fellows like you. But if you do not come round and let me out, next time we meet I'll have a bit of rope end ready for you. Ram showed his white teeth as he burst out with a long, low fit of laughter. "'You rope's end me?' he said. "'Why, I could tie you up in a knot and heave you off the cliff any day. What a game. Bit of a middy fed on a salt tack and weevilly biscuit. Talk of giving me rope's end. Dressed up with a dirty face and a bit of canvas. Go back aboard and put on your uniform. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Once more, will you come and let me out?' "'No.' "'I'm going to keep you here till the gentlefolks get up, "'and then I'll bring him round to see the monkey in his cage, "'just like they do in the shows when you pay a penny. "'See you for nothing, Mitty. "'I say, where's your sword? "'Why don't you draw it and come out and fight? "'I'll fight you with a stick.' "'You insolent young scoundrel!' cried Archie, "'darting his hand through between the bars, "'overcome now by his rage and catching round by the collar. "'To his astonishment, the boy did not flinch, "'but thrust his own arms through, placing them about the Mitty's waist, "'clenching his hand behind and uttering a sharp whistle.' "'It was a trap, and the midshipman understood it now. "'The boy had been baiting him to rouse him to attack, "'and he was doubly the prisoner now, "'held fast against the bars, "'so that he could not even wrench round his head "'as he heard the door behind him open. "'While as he opened his mouth to cry for help, "'a great rough hand was placed over his eyes, "'pressing his head back. "'A handkerchief was jammed between his teeth, "'and as he heard a deep growling voice say, "'Hold him sight!' "'A rope was drawn about his chest, "'pinioning his arms to his sides, "'and another secured his ankles. "'Now a handkerchief,' said the gruff voice, fold it wide, be ready. The midshipman gave his head a jerk, but the effort was vain, for the hand over his eyes gave place to a broad handkerchief, which was tightly tied behind, and then a fierce voice whispered in his ear, Keep still, or you'll get your weeson slip. do you hear? But in spite of the threat, the lad, frenzied now by rage and excitement, struggled so hard that a fresh rope was round round him, and he was lifted up by two men and carried away. By this time there was a strange singing in his ears, a feeling as if the blood was flooding his eyes, a peculiar, hot, suffocating feeling in his breath, and then he seemed to go off into a painful, feverish sleep, for he knew no more. End of chapter 13. Recorded for you by Kyle Vandeglast.